I'm Dave Monaco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle Podcast. Indeed, welcome to Season 4 of the From My Angle Podcast. Though you've heard from me a few times this past summer in the form of some pop-up episodes of the podcast, this episode marks the launch of a new series of conversations on education, leadership, organizational culture, and all things Parish Episcopal School. I'd be pleased if you would journey with me in the next nine months of this podcast season. And what a ride it appears it will be. Mired in the midst of a global pandemic, the school year to come will present challenges to surmount. Our country's social fabric is being tested amidst the movement for social justice and an imminent election. Around us and around the children we parish educators serve swirls a sense of unease, anxiety, and uncertainty. But there is hope to be found, and I will endeavor through my theme choice for this year to remind us of that during each episode. For those of you new to my communications dependence, I'd like to explore a word or phrase each year as a frame for my writing, speaking, and more recently podcasting, and consider its implications for us as a parish community. This year's word? Together. This year we will explore questions such as, what does it mean to gather? How does gathering make us stronger as individuals and a group? How do we stay together amidst difference of perspective and opinion? And how do we come back together and reconcile after being hurt? And of course, without irony, how is coming together more difficult in these days when a pandemic forces us apart? My guests from outside and within the community will help us explore these ideas in the context of our quest at Parish to prepare young people for the complex global society. Co-host Amari Hayes, of course, now a senior, will join me along the way to look at this theme and its related questions through the lens of our talented parish students. Amidst the challenges of the time, it seems we educators have an opportunity to manage our own anxiety stemming from the tumult surrounding us so as to help hold our learning community together. Educators, empathetic and caring by nature, stand primed to bring to the lives of the students they teach and families they serve sensations of assurance, and purpose, and joy. It is a lot to ask of any educator to do as they care simultaneously for their own family members and practice the necessary self-care they need. But I am confident the educators I know will muster the resolve to do it. So in this first episode of the new season, I have invited two experts in maximizing the potential of groups, Hugh Weber and Gino Church, to begin our thinking on what it means to come together. Gino and Hugh, creative partners in the space of word of mouth marketing and group facilitation, are also friends of Parish. They have and will continue to guide us as we identify and communicate the facets of the Parish community that bring our members together. Gino, who works out of Greenville, South Carolina, is the co-author of Brains on Fire and other books and articles on community building and word-of-mouth marketing. Hugh is also an artist and facilitator. The media company he leads, called Design Observer, sits at the interesting intersection of art, design, and community activism. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Gino Church and Hugh Weber as we launch this new season of the From My Angle podcast. Well, welcome to season four of the From My Angle podcast. I'm glad to be back with you, back with you during this incredibly different 
time in all of our lives, both as individuals, but also as a parish community, as prepare, prepare for the start of school coming up as I record this uh, just a week away as we start in our learning from a difference, uh, learning from a distance um, par um, platform and get ready, we hope to have people back to our campus in September. Uh, the, those in the parish community know I sent out a document at the end of July called Together Again, and that is the theme that I had selected for this year. And of course, in this podcast, I'd like to bring uh, people internal to our community and external to our community to talk around this word. And so we're going to do it today with two experts in the very task of getting people together to accomplish uh, things. And so I'm thrilled to uh, welcome Gino Church and Hugh Weber to the podcast. Both of them have familiarity uh, with Parish, and both I think will be exceptional in helping us explore this whole idea of what it means to be together, what brings people together, what's the purpose of coming together as we prepare as a parish community to come together to start the school year. So Hugh, Gino, thank you all for coming to join me. It's so great to be here. <laughs> Glad to have you. So Gino's in so South here. Carolina, Hugh is in South Dakota, Figure both, southern, it out. both Southern guys. That's yes. right. Uh, so we're, we're glad to have them through Zoom from points afar. So Gino, you're a facilitator, an author, a presenter, a musician. How is it best in your mind for you to introduce yourself to the parish community? Oh boy. Well, um, I'll, I'll start out first and, and say that I'm, I got involved in community with teenagers. Uh, I started out way back in the beginning of working with the South Carolina Department of Health and Environmental Control to tackle the highest smoking rate for teens in the United States, which was here in South Carolina. And I, if I push it back a little bit further, I kind of got my thinking started right out of college when my godmother needed some help. She was on President Clinton's drug control policy program. She needed a young person to come up and do a workshop with teens. I had no idea what I was doing. I just got out of college as an art director, but I learned, Dave, something really interesting at that um, weekend retreat, and I've kept that with me to this day. And as I sat at the table with moms and dads that had lost their children or were losing children to drugs, I realized that the power at that table, the power for communication, ideas, and messaging was so much better than anything that I could create with my wrist and my mind. I just didn't know what to do with it till I got a chance to play a role in, in building Rage Against the Haze, which was a youth-powered movement to where I know one of the things you talked about was a question about another case study that I guess is in my quiver of things that I've worked on the Fisketeers and, and to be, it was interesting that where I think it ties into parish and for your faculty and for your parents is that to be able to empower teens to be the messengers for the department of health and environmental control. We held, we had to build a curriculum that I didn't know it at the time, but it was basically a word of mouth curriculum that empowered them to use their voice in the walk of their life to talk about something that they cared about. And so anyway, I guess that's my introduction as to why I care about community and this whole concept of together and togetherness and, and what that, that does for us. 
Yeah, you're a convener, it sounds like, uh, in, in, in the uh, idea of building social networks to get things done. So you, you and Gino have been colleagues uh, in the business of building networks and, and movements like uh, the Rage Against the Haze that, uh, that, that Gino was talking about. And you've just taken a new position relatively recently with a media company called Design Observer. And I think your world exists around this cool intersection. Gino even referenced in his background in art of art and design, the generation of ideas, the, the sort of compelling of momentum and movement toward a, toward an ideal. So you get a similar question, like how do you describe uh, Hugh Weber if Gino is a convener? Uh, what, who are you, who are you? <laughs> that is a, that is a, a great question. A dear friend a number of years ago. And I think that question has been the question that friends and family and, and uh, casual acquaintances have been asking for the 43 years I've been on the planet. Um, but a, a dear friend a number of years ago said, uh, when, when kind of feet to the fire, someone said, but seriously, what does Hugh do? He said, uh, Hugh uh, Weber is an artist and his medium is human interaction. He is wow. someone who, which was both the most confusing and uh, validating kind of, of, of being seen and heard and known and loved that I think I've ever had because I didn't know how to explain it. Um, the backstory that I think is, is helpful is uh, at a very young age, I was eight years old, I worked my first political campaign and uh, became fascinated less about the politics. I was never a good partisan ever from the, mm -hmm. from the beginning, but more about what would drive people to come together around shared ideals, uh, around uh, a, a inspirational story of a candidate, around a specific cause. You know, I, I followed that path for almost 20 years. So I, I, from eight to 28 was active in political campaigns from mayor's office to the Oval Office. And I would see people come in that had just worked a double shift uh, at, at, a, at a factory or double shift at a hospital. And they would come in and do, still do two hours of phone calls or knock on 50 doors. Or, and I, I needed to contextualize what that passion was because in its container of politics, uh, I grew uh, disillusioned by my early 20s with just the divisiveness. Um, but I think what it was, was these kind of shared experiences, the reciprocity of how influence flows yeah. through a community, your ability to, to, to take an action and have a response, the recognition that comes with that. And then these symbols of belonging that emerged. And, you know, Gino and I uh, have a passionate love for vexillology, which is simply the study of designs of flags uh, and, and how flags become symbols, how t-shirts become symbols, how mascots at schools become symbols to create that grounded sense of community. So I stepped out of political work uh, 16 years ago this fall and, uh, and, and looked around and thought, what does a washed up political hack with a passion for connecting people to purpose do? And uh, I'll, I'll say that uh, those first couple of years were a bit of a wonder of trying to figure out how to plug in those skills. And then 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, uh, a book appeared on the market and it was like, oh, this, this is the kindred spirit I've been looking for. And, and, I'll, and I'll say that there, there are rarely those true kind of aha moments in a different context of spirituality and faith. We have different ways of talking about what those moments are. But the Brains on Fire book, you know, co-authored by Gino Church landing on my doorstep was one of those moments. I literally took a video as I was flipping through the first pages of the book because it resonated so immediately and so deeply. And yeah. so my, my, my journey had a, a window in the wilderness uh, as I tried to figure it out myself. Um, but it was, you know, waking up to, to Gino's work uh, over 10 years ago now that really kind of created a context for not only what I was doing individually, but now what he and I are, are doing so, so collaboratively and collectively. Yeah, it's really neat because you share sort of a, an origin story around a table of inspiration, right? Gino referencing his mom and, 
and you talking about that early exposure to politics, and then you get connected through uh, Gino's book, which he co-authored with a couple of colleagues called Brains on Fire, which gives these 10 steps it takes to really generate uh, this word of mouth um, this word of mouth movement around a purpose, you know, you call this path to a purpose, like just to get people together and unified against that. And Gina, you've called yourself this kind of word of mouth inspiration officer, right? Which is a really cool term. But for many um, who just exist in the world of consumerism today or, you know, live in, live in smaller communities uh, here, just in neighborhoods or the place they work or the church that they congregate, perhaps don't think about the power of word of mouth. So what, what is it that you, what does it mean? Like, what is that role as a word of mouth inspiration? What does that mean to you? Do you bring people together? And what is it about bringing people together around a cause that really excites you? Well, you know, it was really interesting when that title came up and <laughs> my, uh, uh, my work partner at that time was a gentleman named Spike Jones, who actually is a Texan from Dallas, went to Baylor. He now lives in Austin. And we were going to the first word of mouth marketing association convention. And I was speaking at it about rage and I had to come up with a title and I, and I was moving from being a creative director into this new role of strategy and insight with an emphasis on word of mouth, which was a new discipline. And we kind of thought as of inspiration and inspiration officer is being the seeker of truth. And that is being the ditch digger in a way to go out and find the truth of the conversation that matters to those that you serve. And then my job is to bring that back and inspire our team internally to bring that truth to light. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, um, I took that to heart. I took it to, in a role, in a way for me to be as agnostic as I can be going out there and, and truly seek and see what I discovered, not the biases that I brought to the table. So I think as an inspiration officer, you have to seek the truth, then be inspired by what you find, not go into it in a judge, judgy, judgmental type way. And then you've got to find a way to bring it truthfully to those that are going to bring it to life to where you can keep the emphasis on it being for the people you serve. Not, you know, it, when, when you work inside of an agency, it's easy for people because we all have our own aesthetics to bring our own likes and dislikes into a project. And so and I guess what I'm trying to get to is a, it's a complicated yin and yang of the truth of what you discover and then making sure that truth helps to build the lighthouse for community. I don't know yeah, if you have. No, I can see why that's really, that's really exciting. And I can also see why as, why as artists, you both being artists, why that's so, um, uh, so fascinating, compelling to you. Cause you really, once that truth emerges, you mentioned the flags and the symbols capturing that truth in some sort of artistic or visual way is part of, making it that lighthouse that Gino talks about, right? That's exactly right. And, and I think it, because for community to develop, for movements to develop, it has to be so personal 
that it becomes uh, an extraordinarily high bar to clear to have it resonate broadly. So an example I would throw out there, which I don't know why this is what pops to mind, but is Harley Davidson, right? Harley Davidson has extraordinarily engaged fan communities, but for some, it may be the freedom of wind blowing through your hair. I don't have that issue as a bald man, but you know, the wind blowing through your hair. For some, it may be a connection to having had a father that had a Harley Davidson. For some, it may be you know, a connection to Milwaukee. Lord knows what that might be, that connection, to create yeah. a brand that allows as all of those passions and purposes and, and, and alignments to come in through a central set of visuals, to, as Gino noted, and not to have your own bias of what those things should be is really tricky. The other, the other side I would, I would speak to is also, you know, every organization uh, that we work with has, a, has a, a leader of one sort or another, an administrator, a CEO, a marketing director or officer. Um, they are in, incredible people, but they are not the beginning and end of the truths of the community around them, right? And so when we're working with an organization that I'm extremely proud of. This is the first time we've actually talked about it. So Gino may give me an eyebrow raise here, but we're working with an organization called the Center on Wrongful Conviction at Northwestern University uh, in Evanston, Illinois. And their entire focus is on um, litigating and engaging the court systems for the wrongfully convicted. So uh, Gino and I had an opportunity to sit with their team and their team is passionate and their team is um, engaged and has been doing this work for a long time. And we kind of raised a hand and said, when, when do we get to talk to exonerees or when do we get to talk to uh, folks that are still in, incarcerated uh, to talk about the system? And I think they all kind of looked at each other like, oh, we thought we were kind of the grounding core of this. But Gino and I did a call last week with four individuals that spent over 15 years behind bars wrongfully convicted and now are, now are back with their families and in their homes. And you mm. can't create a community for something like that organization without talking to the people that are so deeply affected and impacted and, and, uh, and, 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 and so aligned and alive with what that brand is and that organization yeah. is. So you have to not only find a good leader, which most organizations, many organizations have good leaders, yep. you need to find a courageous leader. Someone that's willing to say that, well, this may not be how I might do it. Uh, this is, this is, I trust Gino and Hugh. I trust the, you know, the extended team of Ben and Chad and others, Leticia. I trust them to go sit and listen and, 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 and kind of carry those cultures and conversations and connections and relationships and, and the, the darker side, the brokenness, the disconnection, the discontent, and come back and help us design a, a community, uh, both visually and, and more kind of spiritually relationally um that that will resonate with that group and engage them that it is i i would never call myself an artist but to say that it's a science implies that it could be replicated over and over again and i'll tell you each time we roll out a project you take this deep breath of hopefulness because yep. it's not a guarantee that it'll work it's not a guarantee that when those things get um you know kind of uh, activated in community that they'll resonate but i'll say you know to to our good fortune and and uh, divine intervention uh they've worked more often than they've not for gino and i which is uh which is a real privilege and blessing yeah there's that true art and you're out offline we had asked about our kickoff speaker to last year's theme on belonging is an author named charles vogel and he's written a book called the art of community there's and actual the art to the to the process of bringing people together but then you also use your creative capacities to um, bring words or, or symbols to that, to, to that truth that the group is, is coming together around. And I love how you brought up that notion of like the truth can be uh, an uncomfortable and negative thing, like 
teen smoking or wrongful incarceration. It can also be a very uplifting thing, like a love of cheese. Yeah, or, or <laughs> your Harley, you know, riding your Harley yep. in, the, yep. in the open in the open air, like. And so this is the fundamental thing about coming together. It's uh, it's fundamentally human, isn't it? Right. It's this idea that we have for uh, for our existence craved coming together. Gino wrote um, recently in a LinkedIn article, why community is important to me that, you know, who is it that we actually choose to come together with are these, what he called clusters of people that he connects with through the passions and interests of my life. And then he talked about these people he calls Plutos. These are sort of the random people who inspire me, you know, and have reached out to me for guidance. And I, and I think as a school community, as we think about coming back together, you know, it's really cool to think about ourselves as Plutos to some, but really, you know, close moons to others. Like we are really have the opportunity in this community of a couple thousand people um, to find people whose passions align with ours and to be really excited to come together about parish as one thing that can excite us. But within parish, STEM or art, music, right? Um, uh, your sport team, science, foreign language, global travel, all of those interests uh, are, are found in a robust and, and rich community like ours. When you guys think about, you know, as sort of experts in the field of maximizing the potential of groups, do, what do you see in the people that are coming together? Is it this search for truth? Is it just search for shared passion and interest? Like what's bringing people to these tables <laughs> around which you gather them? <laughs> you know, what yeah, do you think, could, Gino? Well, we could, we could, you know, we could, gosh, we could go on and on on that for a lot because it's almost, why well, that's the great day question to start the journey yeah and uh, you were talking about in in my in my article about why community is important to me um hugh hugh and i have uh, we've known each other for so long we share our thoughts uh we've been sharing our thoughts for years and i have this kind of pirate shared ship process hugh has a process that he's going through with his great discontent work and, and this article that we talked about riding together and I kind of kicked it off, you jumped in and I, and I kind of angled it for him is that he's got this, the, not a concept. It is an actual working, in my opinion, living proof based on Dunbar and our circles of friendships called the, the real ROI. And that is um, your, your, your relationships of influence. Hmm. And and for me, that, that is the grounding place to start. I think so many times Hugh and I have been in the position when we are brought inside of a, of a brand or a company organization, it's easy to start looking at community as a transactional community. When you start thinking about it, as you said, humans, when you start thinking about the, the relationships of influence, like what if you were working, if, if um, Hugh Dave was, was doing a, a, um, a deep dive with you, a council, a community council with you. Um, mm -hmm. and, the, and, and Hugh does a lot of creative council work out there for designers, but he's mm -hmm. a great community counselor. Mm -hmm. Is he would say, Dave, I, I'm, I've got this circle on this sheet and I want you to put around it the 12 people that you go to for those important things in, in your life and you have something to share that makes you happy, makes you sad. Who are those that come to you? And Hugh, you might have a better way to describe that, but um, I've used that, um, mm -hmm. that, um, that worksheet, 
Hugh has done it far more than I have. And it's interesting. Some people hit 12 right away. Others stop at two or three. Some break down into tears. It's, but when we can work inside of a brand or an organization and start getting them to think about the human connectedness mm -hmm. of a community and then who is missing, mm -hmm. what, what are those gaps and those bridges? And, and I'll let Hugh, I'll let you take it from there. No, yeah, is it that human connection that's bringing us to uh, bringing us together? Ultimately, is it our ability to influence and be influenced that really drives us, Hugh? Yeah, I think it's both of those things, and I think it's something a little um, little less tangible, which is I think it is actually a version of of wholeness or completeness. Like I, I really think that we we as human beings are built to be social. We're built to be connected. We're built to live within society or within community, um, and 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 some things have changed that have uh, that have um, dimmed the edges of that. And I recently was reading this uh, incredible book called Moonwalking with Einstein. It's a book about memory, actually, and they were talking about how prior to the written word that everything was an oral tradition. And that the people and places around us became our grounding points for remembering spiritual texts or remembering expertise. Um, we literally kind of outsource parts of ourselves into the people around us. So I remember when my, my, my grandparents were married for, for over 50 years. And I remember the week that my grandfather died. My, my grandmother, though completely clear days earlier, uh, walked around literally saying, I feel like I've lost my mind. And I think in some very tangible ways she had, right? My, my father would not know a single number of his children or grandchildren if my mom wasn't there to remember the phone numbers because he's outsourced that into someone else, uh, which sounds crazy. And now we have devices that do us that for us, which is maybe why we don't connect as deeply as human beings. But there's something about that process of, 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 of completing oneself with and through others that I think we're seeking. We also know the science also tells us without any question whatsoever. Vivek Murthy, who was the Surgeon General uh, under Obama, has just written a book that I couldn't recommend more strongly. But we know that for a fact, our wellness in every way, from financial wellness to spiritual wellness, to physical wellness, to emotional wellness, to vocational wellness, are, are all deeply affected by the number of meaningful relationships we have. So the, the quickest way to evaluate whether an employee is likely to be retained if they're engaged in, in their work is to ask them if they have a best friend at work, right? So we know that on the vocational side. The quickest way to determine financial health is to look at whether the people around them have financial health. The quickest way to evaluate obesity is to look at the people around that are, that are most connected to someone. So when I do a relationships of influence circle, I hate to say it, it's, it's on some level a bit of a parlor trick, but like I'm able to predict a lot of things about those people by virtue of the person standing in front of me that's, that's writing those names. I'm saying, help me be really intentional. Who has your back? Who do you go to with, as Gino laid out so well, with positive and negative things? At the end of the day, whose lives are going to be destroyed when you leave this earthly plane? And, and, and in those 12 people, you can uh, ascertain a lot of things. So in asking the question about maximizing, we actually really try to minimize. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's, the, there's the aggregate whole that is really exciting and thrilling, but we know that on average people have between 120 and 150 kind of meaningful social relationships. These are people that you know, they know you and you know them, there's reciprocity. Uh, if you told them you, you, uh, you didn't like their shirt or did like it, it would have an influence, you know. These are, these are 150 meaningful relationships, but we also know that those circles go three wide. So we know that your friends, friends, friends are influenced by every action from creative risk or altruistic behavior 
to whether you smoke or not. So in that scale, if we focus on 120 people, if you just do 120 by 120 by 120, you're looking at a little over a million four. And, and so you get scale through depth. I think too often our culture is built on scale through breadth and scale through size, but there is a version of scale that is about going incredibly deep with individuals, about knowing the things that are meaningful and motivating. So, you know, uh, Gino and I spend an awful lot of time, my circles in life are getting smaller and smaller as my influence and reach gets larger and, deep, and larger. And deeper and, and, and deeper, deeper, and deeper, right? Yeah. And as I sit here as an educator on the cusp of a new school year, thinking about conditions of culture that we wish to have here and the challenge in the, in the, in the world of, of the pandemic, right, uh, amidst it. I'm hearing you talk about, um, if I'm a teacher, wow, how am I gonna establish influential relationships with a coterie of students that are not necessarily every student in a grade or every student in a class necessarily, but some that are powerful and, and deep. If I'm a family member or parent, I'm asking, is that community which I'm investing tuition dollars in a place not that's teaching my student reading, writing, and arithmetic only, mm. but that at that place, he or she's finding these types of relationships of influence that are really, you know, um, setting their, setting my child's sail in a particular and positive direction. So that's where I think this, this work of, of, um, th that you're doing and have us think about what it means to come together. Why are we coming together at Parish? What is it that we're seeking here? What is it that we're doing as part of our professional purpose or mission here? Um, well, this is such a good table set for us. How, how are you all looking at your work differently, though, in this sort of irony of, of the day? And you mentioned Vivek Murthy's book, Together, aptly titled, just yeah. read it, fantastic, and you should listen to every podcast you can find with Vivek on it. He's just an amazingly thoughtful and sensitive and empathetic person. But in this, in this uh, circumstance of present, in which we all long to be together, but conditions have compelled us to be a part. Like, how are you shifting the work you're doing? What do you see as the threats to, to this idea of coming together? Uh, what, what, what's, your, what's your perspective on that, Hugh? Yeah, I, I want to I take a, an opportunity to hit a softball first before I jump into that question, which is to say my wife is a, a fifth grade ELA teacher. So I, I, and my, my mother is a teacher. I'm surrounded by teachers. I think the best teachers know these, these tactical, strategic, um, cultural uh, elements of community uh, by instinct. I think mm -hmm. often I'll point it out to Amy, my, my, my partner, and she won't know that she's done something. But it, it comes up when, when, when I hear her talking about one specific student over and over again, and I'll say, why is it that student? And, and she'll say, it's not about that student. It's about, you know, the students around, like they see in networks, even if they can't vocalize what, what it is that they're doing. Um, so I, I just want to encourage that as we dive into the geeky kind of weeds of network theory and community design and all of those things that I think a lot of educators specifically understand the dynamics of a classroom and a, and a campus exceedingly well. Um, and and in, in that way, I think they're also, if they can get past what it, you know, and now I'm, I'm speaking with some editorial here, but having watched my, <laughs> the person I love most in the world go through an adaptation to virtual learning this past, this past spring, if they can get past the tools and technology and focus on specifically what it is, which is human connection, connection with their students, connection with their colleagues, the, I, I think the, that muscle memory kicks in. So what we've tried to do is not replicate you know, we believe that nothing builds sustainable community like in-person ex immersive uh, experiences, period. Mm -hmm. you know, there are chemical exchanges that happen at that in-person level that can't be replicated. I often say digital high fives and hugs just don't work, right? <laughs> like they don't have the same kind of, they don't have the same um, uh, physiological impact. 
So we don't try to replicate what that is, but we try to create spaces that are um, as close a, 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 a facsimile as we can. So with The Great Discontent, which is a, a, a platform for primarily emerging creatives that, that, that I lead, um, we are doing what we call potlucks. Uh, it is entirely to create a lens of contribution. Now, people aren't bringing their kind of tater tot casserole uh, over to the house, but they are showing up with an idea to pass or they're showing up with a specific uh, intention towards contribution. We're making sure that invitations are really sound. I think we've gotten to this point where with, with Zoom, uh, I'll get a link in, in Slack or a link via text and people just assume I'm going to be willing to hop on with a moment's notice with no intention. And I think we lose some of the humanity in removing the invitation. So to move away from simply a, this is our standing meeting that we always schedule, that we always do, or this is an impromptu meeting to a, for this purpose, I would like to invite you, gives the chance, frankly, for someone to say no, if that purpose doesn't seem worthy. It, it reintroduces humanity into an otherwise sterile and digital process. We try to get people's voices into the space absolutely as soon as possible. So there are clients that we've done a lot of kind of smaller group settings with the potlucks, but we've also done 750 to 1,000 people on a Zoom call, and we encourage them all to turn their cameras on. Is it as orderly as a well-produced stage presentation at an event? No, it's, it's an absolute, like, it's, a, it's chaos. <laughs> you know, one person's cat has now knocked the wine over onto their laptop and, you know, they weren't wearing, they're just wearing shorts and they look ridiculous and another person's child is losing their mind. Like, it is, it is, it is a mess, but it is deeply human in a way that we can all validate. We can honor what we get out of this context. If we were doing this in person, I'd be in your office. I'd probably be wearing a tie. You can look around now. You can see, oh, he's got an old radio behind him. He's got a piece of art, though, a little blurry back here. That's something that he's proud of. He's got a lot of books. I can ask him about that. We need to honor kind of the humanity that does emerge when we're, we're stepping into someone's living room or basement or, or office. Uh, and then I think there, there's that real need to find time for celebration. That so often, e even as we've settled into these spaces that are virtual, we've kept them efficient. And I think humanity and community is, is decisively inefficient, right? It, it has to have space for that conversation as you leave a room. It has to have space for someone to share when they're not doing well or share something that's off the roadmap. So I've started, I've started doing something we won't do today, but I've actually started bringing in the next conversation into the call that I'm on so that we reintroduce those elements of, of mixing and exchange and, and humanity that are otherwise, otherwise we would click end and you would go on with your day, not knowing where I went next. You wouldn't know that there was someone standing right outside in the lobby, you know, waiting to have a conversation. So for us, it's not about, we're never going to replicate a hug or high five, but we yeah. can reintroduce a lot of the elements of humanity that maybe are even are missing in our, in our in-person experiences. I don't know what you think about that, Gino. Yeah, and I know you've also, I know you've done a lot of work or at least are familiar with Priya Parker's book. I read yeah. this summer as well, like The Art of Gathering. She, you know, she talks about this intentionality of the invite and the intentionality of the people that you bring together to, to be in those human moments. And she has as well, I think, is similar to your potluck um, uh, uh, exercise, really thought strategically and thoughtfully about how to make a gathering about something, whether it's happening face-to-face -face, uh, or, or virtually. I mean, Gino, big threat or opportunity present. Uh, you outlined a lot of opportunities in, in this virtual world. Do you see a threat in the present condition of the pandemic to the uh, quality of being together or the results of being together? Well, it, it, it's, I think there's a, a big looming threat. And when 
the pandemic hit, Hugh and I were, you know, we're still in this stage of, of how we're looking at collaborating and what we want to move to. Mm. I was working on a project, needed some help. Hugh had a lot of expertise in it. We were able to work with a, a organization and not miss a beat because they were already focused on community, bringing people together. That sense of gathering is a spirit in what they're about and their marketing strategy. To a lot of people, and Hugh and I talked about this, and Hugh's had a lot of conversations with folks that are in this boat, and, and so have I, that their idea of gathering is WebEx. It's, it's platform. It's, it's not, tool-centric, yeah. Yes, it's tool-centric. It, 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 they didn't have relationships to build on to bring people to the table. I, I do work for a, a national teaching organization and they have over 20 something thousand members. It was really easy for them to step into gathering um, because they, they were trusted and it created a safe space for teachers in the beginning to say and feel comfortable saying, I'm not okay. Yeah. Yeah, so as the educator, you know, Hugh and your wife may uh, have uh, thoughts on this too. Finished a year with these relationships that you say are so vital to, to, the, uh, to the element and condition for, for coming together. You know, we finished the year with those relationships established. And so when we went to our learning from a distance platform, you know, at least that foundation of connectedness was there. He, he, you know, and, and Gino's just talked about how important the relationships are. So if I, again, listening as an educator, about to start a year in a distance platform, what strategies or, or tactics am I as an educator gonna use to build relationships virtually? For example, with new students who I haven't met or not been in my class before, that's what I see as a significant challenge as an educator um, facing this year. Uh, you know, as you think about that, Gino, kind of throwing it right back to you on the idea of building relationships. Did you, if you were talking to a teacher right out here on, on my campus today and giving them one piece of advice to build a relationship in this virtual space, what would you suggest he or she do in that first meeting with their kids? Well, you know, it, it's, it, that is a great question. It is a tough question. I, I think the things that we've been able to do and, and a lot of that I've, I've leaned on what Hugh and Spin have been doing with the great discontent and some of the other things that he's doing is by it, by in a way using the whole platform of virtual to create multiple ways for people to engage in it. If we just treat it as I'm broadcasting to you and I can see you and you yeah. can raise your voice, then it's a one dimension setting. When you start using open source documentation where you can put something up and you multitask, which is what we do that we like with the potluck or if it's, I just had a conversation with the group that, that Hugh's working with for speakers to where I got to present what I wanted to talk about with other speakers. And, and we created live a jam board of ideas and I got their feedback. They asked me questions 
and it was collaborative. And, and I think the opportunity today is, is to, and I am not a teacher. He will, and you, <laughs> Dave, y'all both will probably have a completely different way to look at this. But for me, uh, I sit as a student. I am ADD. I was the, I was the kid that I know in my wife's school, they're also at a private school here in Greenville. Their largest intake of sixth graders are boys where parents are saying, my son is struggling yeah. to learn virtually. Yeah. And so you're going, to, you're going to have to be adaptive to what those beautiful faces are that you're looking out through this, to the screen and what you might get in person a day or two a week and then the rest of the time it's there. What can you do to create collaboration, mm -hmm. um, sense of trust and a safety zone and and, and that's kind of what we're trying to do with community. And I think that is a starting point for teachers. And Hugh, I know you probably have a lot more to go on that with Amy. Yeah. I, I, I would throw in that I think the other thing is something that teachers do even in a, in a more uh, standard context, which is to have that conversation with the educator from the year before. So while trust and, uh, and, and connection aren't necessarily transferable, social capital is, and those students are advancing together. There are relationships in many cases, and I know that isn't true for everyone, but many cases that are, that are, that are progressing a year. I, I, if, I was, if I was put in that position, I would see it as a network that are, and a community that already exists that I'm just being introduced to. So mm -hmm. if, I, if I was a new teacher at, 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 your, at your school, I'd have to go through a series of exercises of seeing where the relationships existed, mm -hmm. determining who was open to new friendships and who wasn't, determining who had influence and who didn't. Uh, and, and so I would encourage in this virtual context to do much the same, which mm -hmm. is have a conversation with the educator from the year before and say, if I'm only able to reach one person through Zoom over this first quarter, who, who should that person be? If there was one uh, catalytic or, or, or uh, dramatic moment last year in the school year before everything happened with COVID, what was that moment? Tell me that story so that I know some of the mythology and folklore of this group of students. You know, like the, the, these are ways that, especially in a smaller context, especially in a, in a setting where people are progressing together, um, you have the ability to tap into social capital that already exists within that ecosystem you're the only thing that's new as a, as a teacher each year. But I, but I can say, like, um, uh, we, we ultimately decided, which is a, another conversation, but for Amy to take a year leave uh, based on how kind of safety and, and, and security was being set up in the school. Mm -hmm. And one of her great fears was exactly what you just outlined, was how do I, how do I make that initial bridge, which is the hardest thing. Organizations that have community and don't just, a lot of people say they have community, but it's a list or a Facebook group. Those are very different things. Um, but to start a community is hard and to do that at arm's length through a through a camera and a screen is nearly impossible unless that community already exists and in, in this case I think for a lot of a lot of teachers um, uh, that's possible now kindergarten that's an entirely different story I don't know how they're gonna get a, right. get a, a five or right. six year old to use a computer and, and, yeah. and connect through, through visuals but I think if you've got a student especially one that went through it last year you've got at least that germ of possibility that I would again just say lean into the instincts lean into the instincts to connect find times for one-on-ones 
five times to bring in people that they're familiar with. You know, like I, we, we often look and we, we say that kind of insight for our work can come from anyone, the janitor to the CEO. I would say, who are those moving pieces? Is there a specials teacher, a, a gym teacher or a music teacher that isn't engaged in the same way this year because of the virtual context that you can bring into the classroom as another anchor of that community that existed the year before? I think it's a huge possibility. Is there, is there, I often go to the like, who's the woman that leads, takes the cards in the lunchroom, right? Like, or man, I, I don't want to assume, but like, who is that person? Because they know that person as well as anyone else in the building. Bring that person that currently doesn't have a role in the, in the, in the community. Bring that person into the room to do a reading exercise or to, you know, um, somehow introduce a, a curriculum element because you're going to then, uh, there's transferability in that social capital. Yeah, I love, I love both of the ideas that, you know, percolated to the top and listening to you. I mean, I think teachers can think about how to get their students even remotely to be collaborative, as Gina was talking about, you know, break them away from the computer, put them into another Google Meet Hangout, put them on text to have them build something together, even if they're not in the same in the same space. And I go back to your really previous answer, Hugh, this whole idea of like hearing the voices, you know, so how, how do how how has we come together as a digital classroom or digital community? You know, how am I ensuring that every voice there is is beginning to get unearthed, even if it's not on a topic, uh, on a content piece. And those are really good takeaways um, among the others that you that you shared there for we educators to be thinking about. And what is, you know, a, a, a daunting task, you know, to, to be to, to be certain. There's really no uh, ideal way to build community virtually because of that human element that you described that is irreplicable um, in this condition. So. Um, certainly, certainly get it. We're thrilled to be having you all um, continue to work with us in the parish community this year. Just as an aside, this is not a, a one-off engagement here. Gino has been here. He's done the 12-person exercise with me and others on campus. It is all those he thinks. That, I didn't cry, but I, I was at points stymied, like, oh, man, yeah, I don't have enough people in my circle of influence, but we've done those exercises. And we want to continue as a place that really takes community seriously to think about ways to um, distill what it is that brings us here, you know, to find that word or that's, you know, that, that element that's going to go on our parish flag that we can profess uh, with the same type of intensity that the Harley Davidson riders do, or that those parents gathered around the, the table to talk about rage against the haze did like we, we want to have that here at parish. And so, you and Gino will be in our community this year in one form or another, <laughs> digital or in real time. We hope more of the latter. But um, thank you all for being friends of Parish and for spending some time with me today. And we'll we'll look forward to seeing you on down the on down the line this year. Um, you closing thought or two before we we step aside. Yeah, I, I would just say Gino and I have been uh, collaborating for for ten years or, or or around that window of time. This is the first time we've interviewed each other. We've uh, <laughs> we've interviewed others, but we've never actually been interviewed together. So I want to I want to just say just from a place of gratitude, I'm grateful to have had this opportunity with my friend, uh, with my collaborator and colleague, to go deeper in that relationship and this kind of a shared experience. So thank Lord, you for thank that. Thank you for saying that for sure, Gino. What do you think about oh. coming? To Coming back, uh, coming back to parish, or, or spending time with your good friend Hugh in this form or one other. No, that, uh, Dave, I really appreciate you to do that. You know, I think it 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 just solidifies why um, Hugh and I want to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I know for me, and and parish came about at a really interesting time. I'd left a long-standing um, job, um, and actually going out to seek a little bit more meaning in my, in my work, in my life. Yeah. 
and, and having, can I have the opportunity to work with people that I respect and care about and that will make me better with people like you? Yes, I can. Um, with um, work with people that are doing social good and making this world better, folks like yourself, Dave, and, and, and your staff, um, it's, it's an honor to work with. I, I do think you have a remarkable opportunity. Uh, I think what I witnessed there at Parish with the accumulative group of staff and parents was just an energy and love for the school and the output of, of youth in preparing them for whatever journey they may see. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I thought that was beautiful. I did because I have a podcast episode. I've taken a couple of months off um, and uh, I did that to kind of write things, but also I felt like my voice would better be not heard and let her voices out there, especially voices of color to be heard. And I'm coming back on. I, I interviewed Ted Kay who wrote good flag, bad flag. Mm -hmm. I shared with him the video of Parrish. And so he talks a little bit about those flags. He loved them. And so he told me a little secret that as we talked about it and I showed him that exercise, he said it didn't dawn on him till he saw the exercise with Parrish. He said, it's, it's, it's not putting a logo on a flag. It's understanding that the logo is the flag. And there's a subtlety to that. And so he thought your group came up with some great ideas. I think you've got an amazing start at being able to build out and amplify a community in the way that I think is going to be authentic to parish. And a lot of times, a lot of folks, and Hugh and I have seen it, use a lot of, of inauthentic ways mm -hmm. to build a community. And I think you have an opportunity to do it in the right way. And that's for the good of the kids that you serve. For sure. Thanks for saying that. And we, uh, we look forward to having you guys back. Appreciate the time. You all be well. And we will see you down the line here later this fall. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. I look forward to welcoming co-host Amari Hayes and some of his fellow students kick off the year of conversation with the young people of the parish community and discuss what it feels like to come back together in this different type of school year. What is on their mind as we begin this interesting journey together? I hope you'll join us in just a couple of weeks. <laughs>